Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. Listen to the story. This story starts out in New York City. I mean, what's not to love? Um, widely cited as the last movie of the film noir era, Whoa. this taut now, taut, T-A-U-T, not T-A-U-G-H-T, which is what I used to do, taut, which I always pronounced as taunt, T-A-U-N-T, but this is taut, T-A-U-T, which yeah. means tight. Mm-hmm. So Boy. if you're if you're pulling something taut, it's tight. I used to say you're pulling it taunt, which is a different word. Starting over, widely cited as the last movie of the film noir era, this taut caper, love that word, follows a bigoted ex-con at odds with the reckless gambler who happens to be his partner in crime. Particulars. Again, Odds Against Tomorrow. It came out October 15th, 1959. Doesn't it sound like a soap opera name? Odds Against Tomorrow? Yeah. It's not, well, sort of is. Yeah. The Particulars. It's directed by Robert Wise, who was nominated for editing for Citizen Kane. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Then he went on to direct so many movies, including Somebody Up There Likes Me, which was Paul Newman's first big movie. Um, In in 1958, so the year previous to this film, he directed I Want to Live. It has an exclamation point at the end of it. Susan Hayward won an Oscar for playing convicted killer, real-life killer Barbara Graham in I Want to Live. Then he also went on to direct West Side Story after Ooh. this film. That oh. was his follow-up. So he did Andromeda Strain. He also did The Sound of Music. He was Whoa. so many movies. The screenplay is by Abraham Polans- Polanski. Polanski. There you go. Yes. I like Polish names because um, Very they're phonetic. phonetic. Yes. He wrote Body and Soul, which was nominated. He got nominated for an Oscar. He also wrote and directed. Sorry, I'm just thinking of my grandmother's name that started by K-R-Z-W-Y. Shushesky? Shivanis. As soon as you say K-R, I'm just like, Shushesky? I love how they use the the Ys and the Zs and the Ws. They're like, yeah. no one else wants to use them? We'll take hmm. them all. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I like that. He also wrote and directed Force of Evil. In the 1950s, he was blacklisted for refusing yeah. to testify to Congress, the House Un-American Activities Committee. It's also written by Nelson Gidding. He's credited. He also wrote, I want to live, and The Haunting and the Andromeda Strain. It's based on the 1957 novel, Odds Against Tomorrow, by William P. McGivern, who also wrote such novels as The Big Heat, 
Shield of Murder, and Rogue Cop, which were all turned into films. He oh, also, nice. He also wrote in TV, Ben Casey and Adam... <gasps> I knew you were... I should have waited. I should have played out for the... <gasps> Adam 12 mm. and Kojak. Mm. Yeah. It is edited by D.D. Allen, who we've done so many D.D. Allen films. Slapshot, The Wiz, Rachel Rachel, The Hustler. She also did Dog Day Afternoon and The Breakfast Club, just to name a few. Wow. And we're talking a span of time there, too. Yes. Nerd Mm -hmm. alert. Now, remember, I said that Robert Wise, he was an editor, and he was Mm -hmm. so good. I mean, Citizen Kane, it's up there as a revered film, and he edited that. So. Oh, wow. Oh, I really like it. I don't know, but. Okay. We can wow. do a revisit because it is like anytime you see the top 100, the top 20, the top 10 films you have to see. Always it's on always, there. Always way close to the top. Yeah. So I guess I. it's one of those things where I think some. it's very easy for some people when they watch it to be like, oh, oh what? This Dismiss is Citizen it. Kane? Yeah. Yeah. And like because of the hype to be. It's like, a lot to live up to. That great. Yeah, exactly. But then when I think of like when it came out and exactly. put it in context of the kind exactly. of movies that were being done at that time, mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, that does seem like a game changer. Mm-hmm. We um, might revisit it. Mm-hmm. So remember, I said like he's an editor. So Robert Wise mentored Dee Dee Allen, and he was the one that recommended her for this film. And this was her first important film. I remember wow. when we did, I think we did, it was Twilight, and that editor, she was talking, she had gotten an honorary, honorary Oscar recognition, and she was talking, she went on to, like, become the president, I think, of the Editors Guild, and she really did that because it was so hard to break into editing, yes, because there were yes. the different tiers and stuff, mm-hmm. so this is one of those examples of Dee Dee Allen was very lucky to have Robert Wise, who was her mentor and recommended her, and that's how she got in. Mm-hmm. And Dee Dee Allen said, quote, he was the first person who said, no matter how many directions I give you, if it doesn't play, don't show it to me. He was excited as hell if I came up with something. He had a great influence on me because he was a tremendous editor in his own time, so he knew. Nice. So just giving the, like her that freedom to say, mm-hmm. like, look, I may be saying this, but you're the one that's editing it. You're the one cutting it together. If it's not playing for you, I don't even want to see it. I want to see what you come up with. And so that really gave her the wings to fly. That's 1959. Women were not given many wings in 1959. Exactly. The music is by John Lewis, who's a black American jazz pianist, composer, and arranger, who's also in the modern jazz quartet. He also did the music for the movies No Sun in Venice and A Milani's Story. Um, For this film, it was a 22-piece, assembled a 22-piece orchestra. The soundtrack album was released on United Artists label, which... Nice. Like, it was not like today how all soundtracks, or maybe it's more like the 90s when, like, every movie had a soundtrack that got released. right. The modern jazz quartet, his bandmates in that were Percy Heath on bass, 
Kanye K on drums, Bill Evans on piano, Jim Hall on guitar, and Milt Jackson on the vibraphone. And I have a, oh. I'm wearing a my Milt Jackson t-shirt. Cause I, who am I? I know. Crazy. I don't know. It's so fun. I remember like Evan gave me this when I started playing drums because it was like, oh, it's, it's the same thing. It's percussion. And when this in this movie, Harry Belafonte's character is a jazz singer and he's playing the the vibes as they're called. And um, I was like, huh, I got a t-shirt. That's crazy. The vibes. That's crazy. That's crazy. I love Bill Jackson. I was like, oh my God. Oh, I got to bust that t-shirt out. Yep. The director of photography is Joseph C. Burns. He, listen to this, just, I just took three films out. He did Flipper, Slaves, and Martin Luther. As Flipper? Flip, yeah. That was a good film. I know, I know but he's such Wait, a... Wait, Flipper's about the dolphin, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Slaves, I mentioned... Because something else, because that was it's it was like I think in the seventies, and there's somebody like I think maybe Ozzy Davis is it somebody's in it, and then Martin Luther is like a Martin Luther biopic, not Martin Luther King, but like right the ninety nine like the German like Protestant Martin Luther, right was like we're splitting from the Catholics that the biblical dude. Well, I don't think he he wasn't biblical he was like he was the dude that that because it was just catholics and he was like nah we ain't doing that see and then they split off and that's where like protestant came from he was that dude that martin luther probably probably the namesake of lutheran if i had to guess (laughs) oh definitely so starring we have Harry Belafonte as Johnny Ingram. Harry Belafonte was in Carmen Jones, Island in the Sun, Uptown Saturday Night. Nerd Alert. This is a very specific era, Nerd Alert, because I found this fascinating. His parents were Jamaican. Mm -hmm. But his mom was Scottish. His mom's mother was Scottish Jamaican. So she was white. And his mom's father was Afro-Jamaican. He was black. And then his father's mother was Afro-Jamaican, black. Mm -hmm. But his father's father was Dutch-Jewish. So he was white. Yeah. So Harry Belafonte has two white grandparents and two black grandparents. Both of his parents... We're mixed equally, and then he's like mixed equally. He's, I guess, what well, I was like, we need to come up with a term for that. Is it the, is it the Zoe Kravitz? Like when you're just like mixed, 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 mixed. Yeah, just the mixed, just just solidly. So I was, I was just, wow. I had and no they idea. Were, wow, and they were married. Wow, well, wow. But they were Jamaican. So. Yeah, that is that's the um, the thing that probably saved them from being lynched, right? Was that well, they were Jamaican, and so it was 
It was like the Caribbean. So you have like all the, like the same thing. You see that in like down in Louisiana and stuff with like the Creole Mm -hmm. culture and stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of intermingling. Right. Um, So I just thought it was interesting. And so then they came, so then his parents came over to America and then he spent time back in Jamaica in the Caribbean with, with, it had to be his father's mother because it was a, the Afro Jamaican. I don't, I just was like, I don't wow. know. I just know that they made a very, very attractive man. Yeah. So we also have Robert Ryan, and I have. You have to let me know because then I went on. Um, I have Harry facts from Wikipedia that I that I just oh. jotted down. So well, please. Do I go yeah. now with the hairy facts? Sure, yeah, yeah. go with the hairy facts. Okay, so the, again, unless otherwise stated, all of my information comes from Wikipedia. There's that caveat. Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier, they would purchase one ticket to go to for a local play. And then they would trade places between the acts and tell each other because they were they were studying acting and they were so poor that they could just afford the one ticket. So then they would but, at the act rate they would pass. But who could tell the difference? Yeah. And if you no, look at the who could tell the difference? Well, I'm saying like if if the uh, person checking the tickets is going, wait, you're not the sick, but they're not going to do that because it's a person of color and they're just going to go whatever, whatever, go ahead, back in. Yeah, and I think that you just had the the ticket, and it's also, like, plays and stuff. So, yeah, it was more of the funniness of, okay, so this is what's going on, and this is, and this is what's going on. And then they sit there, and then they go, and then they're like, okay, and then this is what's going on, and this is what's going because, on. Um, because Sidney Poitier's roots were Jamaican. No, but in the Caribbean. <laughs> okay, Caribbean, because... People told him not to even pursue acting because of his his accent and mm-hmm. like yeah from when he I believe I think he came from I believe the Bahamas. Um, oh okay. And but that's how they met because he was <laughs> because they, and they were basically both in the same boat of wanting to get into acting, going to see plays boat. and getting interesting choice of words boat. Yeah. Okay. Wow, racist. That that was that was you. My that, first kid in two weeks. I just it goes apologize now. Unbelievable. Like it should the June should be in your system, like, welcome back, old <laughs> friend. Not like, Whoa, we've never been here before. <laughs> but that reminds me of um for any other Big Brother fans out there, one season they had <clears throat> twins in the Big Brother house and Nobody knew, so they would be in the house at different times, and they looked, they were identical. So the one oh. girl, like, one of them would be in there and, like, live a day or two in the Big Brother house, and then they would switch in the confessional room, and they would have, like, a minute or two to, like, report back, like, tell mm-hmm. every tell each other, like, everything that was going on, oh. and then the other one would have to just go in there and, like, pick it right back up. I mm-hmm. love it. But also, I love that idea because I don't have a great attention span. So, I, <laughs> like, I really oftentimes only need to see half of it. Then I'm over it. I think it would be hilarious, though, to have my brother then explain to you that the <laughs> that's why I laugh. I would be and me explaining to, to him. that. Yes. 
the the explanations of you two. That's comedy <laughs> gold right there of what's going on. You talking to a God forbid we need to name, name any of the actors in it because I'm out. That's what's going to be so hilarious. <laughs> yeah, just the two of you, and the and you'll probably take like the whole act to figure out like which one is the the description <laughs> that he said. Mm hmm. So. Harry Belafonte was offered the role of Porgy in Porgy and Bess. What? Mm-hmm. But he refused the role because of its racial stereotyping. Mm. Cindy Portier played the role instead. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, I understand why you're not doing I'll it. Do I'm going to do it. Yeah, I'm going to take the money. So he started his career as a club singer, and that was the way that he paid for acting classes. His first backing band was Charlie Parker, Max Roach, and Miles Davis. Like the first time he gets on stage to sing at a club, that's the band that's backing him up. Can you imagine? Oh, no. Like, I don't know much about jazz, but I know all three of those names. Right, right. (laughs) Wow. Wow, that gave me goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Wow. In 1956, Calypso became the first LP, long play, in the world to sell more than a million copies in a year. That was a um, crossword puzzle clue this week on the New York Times. Held Cali- by Henry Belafonte's something, and the answer was Calypso. Mm-hmm. And I got it right. Of course you did. Mainly, I had, like, a lot of the other letters in there, and I could just figure out that the word was Calypso. I wouldn't be able to spell Calypso with a gun to my head, but... Still couldn't if you look at my notes. Um, That's the one thing I can do, so... I may not be able to name it after. But But she can spell. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what else? She has ears that that can hear 12 camps away from us. Do you know who has ears that can hear even farther? He just doesn't use them for that. It's Adam. Oh, my God, I was awake. I was laying in bed awake. This is psychopath behavior, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he, his alarm, he sets it one blip of volume. One. You got, like, ten on your phone? One. I'm, I was already awake laying in bed the other morning. And he said, can you hand me my phone? And his alarm was going off, and I couldn't hear it. I'd been awake, and it was beside me. It was closer to me than it was to him. Well, now, Poppy used to comment that my alarm would go, because as soon as it would start, my hand was there to stop Mm -hmm. it. That's how I am. Okay. There have been been similar things with me where I was like, how did I hear my alarm? Hmm. Okay, well, we're going to. We're going to have to test that at the beach this year. Oh, but it's an because, alarm. But he doesn't have the attention span to pay no, attention. Or the, the care, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't care that they're having a family discussion about who messed with who, and then and then the daughter is upset because she was never really accepted. And then and that's all the stuff that Teeny tells us is happening. Mm-hmm. That is true. Moving on. Oh, so so Calypso. So so when this film comes out, pretty much people know Harry Belafonte. They don't know him as an actor, even though he's been studying acting. They know him as like this pop music icon. 
And right. Calypso is a style of Caribbean music that originated in Trinidad and Tobago, or Tobago, ah. with rhythms that trace back to West African queso, K-A-I-S-O, queso. So I should have looked up how to say that. Kaiso was brought over by enslaved Africans, and they used it as a way to sing, basically to talk about their masters. Because, um, and generally the songs were narrative, and they have a cleverly concealed political subtext. Because remember, the enslaved people were not allowed to talk in the fields. Mm-hmm. And oh, so well, that, so that was how they communicated. Now it's interesting because there's so many different musical styles. So I imagine that in the Caribbean, the idea of Harry Belafonte's that calypso is kind of probably considered pop in a way. You mm-hmm. know, like I, I'm sure that there's so many different styles of like that. That's a that's a more mate like like a watered down version of calypso, just mm-hmm. from what I was reading. And that there's different. I know that there's like soca music and stuff. So there's all these different kinds of music. But that calypso is really, um, it was very political because they would use these the political subtext and stuff. And so there's history of that being used in the Caribbean and and people taking advantage of that. So I just right. wanted to, like for us, we're like, oh, there's a million things and Harry Belafonte is the face of Calypso. But in the Caribbean, it's they're kind of like, that's, but that's what sold, you know? Right, like smooth jazz as opposed to jazz. It's like, yes, yeah, the Powell, 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 Palatable. Yes, thank you. Um, so then he was also a huge civil rights activist. Yeah. He Harry Belafonte bankrolled the non-student violent the, the student nonviolent coordinating committee. He helped organize the March on Washington. Mm-hmm. In 1968, he appeared on the Petulia downtown. Where all the lights are bright downtown. Yes, that's sung by Petulia Clark, and she had a primetime special where she clutched the pearls. She mm. touched Harry Belafonte's mm-hmm. arm. A I white woman. Ass, but. but she was a Brit. She so. touched his arm. Mm. And Doyle Lott. Doyle? Doyle. Doyle. Doyle well, Let me guess, Doyle had a problem. <laughs> you see a man named Doyle? He had a problem. He was the advertising manager of the show's sponsor, Plymouth Motors. He complained, Uh and he wanted the segment reshot. Now, Petulia Clark had ownership of the special. Nice, Petulia. So she said, we either air it as it is, or it's not airing at all. You Mm. go, girl. And a newspaper got a hold of the story and reported on it. And then Lot was told, I'm sorry, Doyle was told to kick rocks. Pick and rocks. then and then the special attracted high ratings because of all the controversies. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There is no bad publicity. But also very, like, you know, this was in, I think it was 1968. Good on Miss Clark 
for mm-hmm. having the being a woman and having ownership over the special so that she was in a position where mm-hmm. she was like ah 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 I touched she, the man's arm she had been in Sydney Poitier's movie with Patula Clark where he was the teacher they call me Mr. Tibbs? No. <coughs> Go ahead. Um, he was also an early AIDS activist, like in the 80s, like in the early 80s. He was oh. on it. He was a UNICEF goodwill ambassador. And this is perhaps, and so there's so many other things that Harry Belafonte did in his life. It's, it's so many good causes and stuff. It's incredible. But this was my, the last one I'll tie up with my Harry facts is in 1958, because this is my favorite. In 1958, he went looking for an apartment in the Upper West Side. And he was turned away from several because he was black. So he got his white publicist to rent an apartment for him and he's moving in and the owner sees him and the owner's like, what? And asks him to leave. And Harry Belafonte refuses. Not only does Harry Belafonte refuse to leave, he then uses three dummy real estate companies to buy the building and converted it into a co-op and invited all of his friends, white and black, to come in. And he lived... He lived in a 21-room, six-bedroom apartment in that building for 48 years. Dang. Mm-hmm. He was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do now. Yep. To sir with love. Ah, there we go. So the rest of the cast, we have Robert Ryan as Earl Slater. He was in The Longest Day, The Dirty Dozen, and Crossfire, and The Setup. Nerd Alert... I got to say, like, Robert Ryan, I'm glad that I remembered this and looked up this fact because, man, Robert, I was not a fan of this man. I didn't like his face. I didn't like the cut of his jib. (laughs) I was getting out here to say all sorts of just things about this man. But nerd alert, Robert, in real life, he was a Marine Corps drill sergeant. And then he came to have pacifist beliefs. And he fought for civil rights in the 60s. Quote, Ryan's roles as a cynical, prejudiced, violent characters often ran counter to the causes he embraced. He was a pacifist who starred in war movies, westerns, and violent thrillers. He was an opponent of McCarthyism, but appeared in the anti-communist propaganda film playing a nefarious communist agent. In socially progressive films, he played bigoted villains or conspirators. So this is just, he, he was acting. Much like Shelley Winters, Which? in when the um, a patch of blue, a patch of blue, exactly. Who? We have Shelley Winters as Laurie. She was in a patch of blue, the Knights of the Hunter, the Poseidon Adventures, the Diary of Anne Frank. Nerd alert! Sherry Winters attended the 1965 marches from Selma to Montgomery. Yes, mm-hmm. she did. Mm-hmm. We have Ed Begley. As David Burke, he was also in 12 Angry Men, Sweet Bird of Youth, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, and Nerd Alert, he is father to Ed Begley Jr. Jr. 
We have Gloria Graham as Helen. She was in It's a Wonderful Life, The Bad and the Beautiful, Crossfire. Now, here's a tough nerd alert, especially considering the character that she plays in this. Um, but if it was a man, I would definitely, I would definitely mention this. So her second husband was director Nicholas Ray. He had, from a previous marriage, a son named Tony. Tony was Gloria Graham's fourth husband. She married a father and his son. It's my father and my daughter. (laughs) My sister and my daughter. (laughs) Don Johnson. Don Johnson married his... He didn't marry... He didn't marry Tippi Hedren, but he had a intense affair with her and then married her daughter Melanie Griffith but he wasn't Melanie Griffith's stepfather no Gloria Graham was Tony's let's let's draw some lines here (laughs) you're right you're right yeah okay um yeah so you can look that up okay um Kim Hamilton as Ruth that's the ex-wife of Harry Belafonte's character. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was the leech. She was in the Leech Woman. She was uncredited in To Kill a Mockingbird. Really? Mm-hmm. She's one of the first black actors on the soap opera Days of Our Lives. And mm-hmm. she's the only black person with a speaking role ever on Leave It to Beaver. Wow. Wow, wow what a fact. Black wow. history. Mm-hmm. We have Mae Barnes as Annie. She's a jazz singer, dancer, and comic entertainer. <laughs> I have one of her quotes. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Did you know that she introduced the Charleston dance to Broadway in 1924? Yes, I, did, I did not. And do you know the Charleston? That's written by James P. Johnson. In 1923, a black man wrote the Charleston, and a black woman in, did the like introduced the dance. And now, when people think of old timey white people, they always go to doing the Charleston. Do they? I've always associated it with black people, or like. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I remember my mom doing the yeah. Charleston, the knees, the knees. Yeah, thing. the knee things. It was just mm-hmm. like complete. Like Maybe I, I just know that no white person ever invented a dance well i think that's how you that's how you ended up in our family except for some line dancing i do believe i don't know i don't quote me on that one but Mm -hmm. i believe it people can get out here and boogie speaking of dance bojangles himself called her in 1927 the greatest living female tap dancer oh wow Mm -hmm. her her dancing career was cut short in 1938 when she broke her pelvis in a car accident. Ouch. Wow. Mm-hmm. We have Wayne Rogers. He was a soldier yes. in the bar. And I was like, yes. what? I could not. I was like, why do I know that face? Me too. So he was in Cool Hand Luke, but this is his first film. And if you're like me and like, why do you know that face? It's because he was Trapper on the television show MASH. Which was on forever. Mm-hmm. And now... This is one of those things where it it 
it, it's like I don't I don't people aren't gonna like relate to this the way that I did, but this gave me goosebumps. It was one of these like weird weak things where it was like, what? So I think that this is weird. It's one of those, but the day that I finished Viola Davis's autobiography, Finding Me, was the same day I watched this film. I cannot recommend highly enough that woman's book. Oh my gosh. Just, Ooh. it's up there. I think that it should be, the way that they teach, I know why, like, to me, it's, I don't want to like compare them and stuff, but it is just, it is just, it's like why the cage, I know why the cage bird sings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It totally is. It is like, it, I, I was, I was just blown away by it. I was like what no. she over, like where she started. Oh my God. Like just no words. But so that was Thursday. I finished the book. I was just like, wow. This book is just always gonna stick with me. And then I watched the film, this film. And so I went back to the book, and there's this quote. This is from Viola Davis's book. She said, quote, because this is in the chapter called The Calling. This is how we got like what lit the fire in Viola Davis mm -hmm. to, to make her want to, to become an actress. Quote, a woman who looked just like my mama came on television one night and something magical happened. She had a long neck and was beautiful, dark-skinned, glistening with sweat, high cheekbones, thick, full lips, and a clean, short afro. What was she? What was she watching? Well, she was watching Miss Cicely Tyson in the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman. Yes. Now I'm sitting here watching this movie, and like we'll get into like there's another thing about like cast from her book later. But they're in the jazz scene, and there's the bartender. And I literally did the, my God, look at that beautiful skin. Look at those cheekbones. Look at those full lips. I, I could not take my eyes off of this woman. And it was on the same day, and I was like, oh, my God, is that Cicely Tyson? Cicely Tyson is the bartender what? in the film. Yeah, and I was just... I just lost my mind because my eyes were just drawn to this woman. I was like, just, just like, she just like popped on the screen. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, is that, is that Cicely? It was just a, a magnet. It, and I just got goosebumps and stuff. Cause I'm like, here's the woman who they like inspired Viola Davis. And I was just like, oh my God. And look, and. Because we mentioned like Harry Belafonte, and we'll get into like, like I said, like the thing with the cast a little bit later. But just the colorism of like Harry Belafonte is not a dark-skinned man. He's a, right. he's a light-skinned man. And um, in re like reading her book and stuff, and I, like you know, you listen to this podcast. It's always been a thing. But just to see, and also I think the way that the film was shot, like she really pops. And a lot of and how could she not? And I know. And I was just and I was just like, oh my. So I I know I'm I'm sorry. I was just like, was that Cicely Tyson? And of course, Wikipedia didn't mention anything about Cicely Tyson. I had to go to IMDb and be like, did did my eyes deceive me? It had to be Cicely Tyson. My God. And yeah, it was Cicely Tyson. So those 
are the particulars. That was her first film. That was her film debut, right? Uh, it was one of her first ones. I think she was maybe in something else around the same time. But, you know, she was a model. And I just laughed. I was like, that Harry Belafonte, of course. Because she's just really dice it. be like, get in my movie. But I just wanted, I don't know. It was great. Well done. I'm going to set the table. <clears throat> the opening credits with an out-of-focus background. The credits open with an out-of-focus background. <laughs> There's an out-of-focus background. And I say a theme <laughs> of the movie. We see a white man, yes, it matters, walking on the sidewalk and some children run by. He picks up the last little girl who is black, and yes, it matters, and says, you little pickaninny, you're going to kill yourself flying like that. And I said to myself, it's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? I, I said in my head, I'm like, Robert Ryan. My great aunt used to call me a pickaninny in the <gasps> summer when I would get my suntan. <laughs> That's so wrong. And makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she put the idea in my head. Is that the woman whose picture that I have here? This was Aunt Margie, oh. uh, my grandma's sister, who was Howard's mother. Mm, yeah, mm. so much to unpack there. <laughs> I remember her calling me a little pickaninny, and nobody—it wasn't nobody in the room said, "Yeah, know what, Aunt Margie? Maybe we don't say that." Mm -mm. And you know, she said it with like, um, "Okay, let's go on." Like a lot of love, and, and it sounded to me like it was. A term of endearment. Yeah, there's from kind her. of in the Spanish-speaking cultures. Um, there, I forget. It's I have it in span because span. It's like New Guinea means child. No, that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about like in Spanish. Um, what is it? Negro, negro, neg, neg, negrita, negrita. Oh, okay. Um. It's the term of like small, like little black in Spanish and in Spanish speaking cultures, like it gets tossed around a lot. And to, mm -hmm. you know, you have Afro Latinas and, like, and oh, that sure. kind of thing. But then it's also um, like Jennifer Lopez, like referred to herself. I have a coworker who when they would get in the summertime, they would get tan and they were the darkest in their family. And mm -hmm. that goes into the whole colorism and you're cast and your how close you are to whiteness and stuff and so they um you know would call her that and stuff and it's an interesting discourse that's going on within that community be of who's allowed to call who that because yes. there are people who are who are um you know like like if you were spanish-speaking ma and and you know like you're like basically like white spanish-speaking people or like, you know, close to that and stuff. People with less melanin in their skin. You know what I'm trying to say. And calling, pe being like, oh, I was called that and I'm allowed to call myself that. And like, that is a term of endearment. And then there's darker um, Afro-Latina people who are like, wait a second. 
Mm. That's like, you know, microaggression against us. So it's this thing that's kind of playing out now about it. And, you know, people are like, no, but I mean, it's a term of endearment. And, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, mm-hmm. that whole hey, kind of thing. In my it, growing up, it's just unacceptable. It's just a very negative term for a child well, with a lot of melatonin. Yeah, you're uh, calling out that you're dark now and putting a um, a less than, like you're basically putting a price tag on it, which is less than being white. Yeah, discount. Like, yeah, like putting, <laughs> like calling it out, being like, oh, you're dark. Oh, look mm-hmm. how dark you are now. Like, why do you got to point out how dark somebody is? But that's colorism. That's mm-hmm. caste. Like, really, it's caste. Mm-hmm. Uh, which brings us to POC, which were I, I didn't count because uh, it, there are it's a, a very integrated cast. Mm-hmm. It's in cast C A S T cast of the movie. Yeah, uh, it's a integrated cast cast. Um, and so um, I did notice that most of the people of color had a subservient job. The um, elevator dude that my dad used to be an elevator dude um uh and uh, wait his his wife was middle class and he because he kind of had issues with the pta being mm-hmm. at the house right well and that that it was an integrated group and he was saying that the white people were just using her mm-hmm. but i mean it was 59 so he had a point <laughs> we don't know his intention their intentions so um other cast teeny i mean there's a lot in this movie and i was trying to but the one of the things that i was uh i was trying to find more information about so aaron you probably know more about it, it was just like how this was one of the first film noir films that from what i read got the color, like the lighting right in the film for the people of color in the film. Darker complexions, yeah. That had Uh been like a, just something that like, you know, I, nobody cared to do before. Exactly. Most likely. And it was, you know, I'm sure at some point people didn't know how, and then there was just no point, you know, they didn't care to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did read that this was one of the first films to do that. Um, and just like how, um, they like played, I guess like didn't hide from this, like this character was overtly racist and what's the same. And then they like went on it head on, like they took that on head on. Like that was a part of the film. Like they addressed that kind of rather than like just being acceptable, I guess. Um, there was a article that I recommend going to read. I didn't get to finish all of it, but it's on popmatters.com called Harry Belafonte fights racism in film noir odds against tomorrow. Um, So it seems like like, uh, one of the first film noir films to kind of even include people of color and like, you know, acknowledge. Well, to have a black protagonist. And and now that you're saying, now you're saying it's the last film. (laughs) So that was the end of that. Well, that goes 
on the, my second part of cast, but yeah. <laughs> that is true. Well, also like with the with you what you were saying about the um filming of it and and getting the skin tone things right because you know it's film. A lot of what we have now on our cameras, it does all of that stuff for you. When if you mm-hmm. actually work with film and stuff and lighting, you have to get lightings right. So you need like f stops. You need to know all of this kind of stuff, and the, it depends on light. And so people with lighter skin reflect more light, so that gets to get taken in. And people with darker skin, it, it the lighting, it it it's um different, you know, for different mm-hmm. skin aspects. I think it's interesting that you bring that up because this film was produced by Harbell Productions. And yeah, that was founded by Harry, Harry Belafonte. Belafonte. So yeah, it does make sense. But even when you're saying like, oh, it's when they didn't bother to do that. I remember when the film Waiting to Exhale came out and it was directed by Forrest Whitaker, had Angela Bassett, Whitney Houston, just a big black cast. And that was one of the things that they talked about and that was in the late night, mid. It was in the nineties that yes. that was a big deal in the lighting and the way that the film looked for the black skin. So even when we were like, no, it was nineteen fifty. It was because Harry Belafonte was producing the film, his production company, and, and that's people behind the camera. And when you don't have people of color behind the camera, that's exactly. some of the stuff that's because exactly. it like was still an issue and i'm sure that they brought it up with um you know black panther and stuff but now that you have more people behind the scenes i mean don't even get started on hair and makeup for people right and just because you have a a black person it's not like okay we have a black person so we go to f stop this and we do because everybody has different skin tones so you got to take that into consideration for people of color as as well as the white people so for what are you done with castini you know it doesn't do that zoom oh hmm. well maybe it's just computers because you know i look like casper the ghost <laughs> you do i look red as just you're looking red right now very red yeah. yeah yeah look at the three of us the different <laughs> skin tones of the three of us i know work on our work calls all the time i'm like how do all these other people look like this i look like casper the ghost i, I mean it's because i'm basically the same color as <laughs> you're 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 very you're you have fair skin there's hey, nothing wrong with that got, i there mean there is there is <laughs> your proximity to whiteness is i mean you can't get yeah. much you can I mean, pretty much look at you. The, bing 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 oh, so you got that going for you <laughs> And hey, my son chose you, so it's got to be all good. Yes, I won there. So in Viola Davis's book, um, I just thought that for, for cast, because just just listen to this. She just a quote: "A lot of black female actors hired are hired for certain roles." As one of my agents says, they look for interchangeable, quote, interchangeable, so that if you put their features on a white actress, there would be no indication that they are black. They have to be the perfect shade of black, not too dark to be considered ugly, but not too light that you can't tell that they are black. I've heard these comments throughout my entire career. 
was just like talking about like just the colorism and I thought that was interesting of like interchangeable and thinking about it and you think like Dorothy Dandridge comes to mind mm-hmm. Mina Horne Halle Berry mm-hmm. just when you know when you like really look at at who the actors and actresses are I mean her, like honestly Harry Belafonte you know very European Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very oh. European. But you're but you're black, but you have to have like this interchangeable so that so that there's something it's almost like so that white people will be able to be like and not just white people, because all everybody who's seeing it is saying like that's the oh, that's what's attainable. And it's that lie that we're being told of that's what makes attractive because people on the screen are all attractive. Yeah. So that's what makes mm-hmm. people attractive. So that's why, and then you can see it and you just look at Michael Jackson from when he was younger to where he ended up. Yeah. Can I share? I have some, this is nothing related to this movie. Yes, please share. But TikTok corner, but thinking of just, there's this woman this old white lady, it looks like it's in Florida. I could be totally off there, but just giving Florida vibes. And there is a, it's going viral on TikTok just because people are responding to it. And um, she was like, uh, you know, talking about, well, black people have these names that are, give, give their kids names that are hard to spell and hard to pronounce and what do you expect and this or the other and there's um I'm sorry if I make a noise on my phone but I want to make sure I quote who it was um shoot oh here oh (laughs) just so you can see the lady I'm talking about I mean oh her name's Karen I'm which, like, interestingly enough, definitely looks like she's been spent time in the fake tan. Oh, yeah. And then the name, it says something about, about Orlando. So, um, and there's this poem titled Unnamed by Portia Olaywola. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I'm um, just reading it off the bat. But she, it's reading it out loud, talking about how she gives a really great explanation about how like when black people were freed, they took these last names like freedmen and other things like that, or they just had to come up with a name on the spot. And so they would use the name. They had to take the name of like the previous slave owners who own them. So like they were talking about how all of these, like the most common names for like last names for black people. I think she said Johnson was one of them, like Brown and like a couple of other things. And she Jefferson. started naming. Na- Washington. Yeah. Well, so she started naming like these, uh, I can't, shit, I'll have to send it to you guys. They're one of the last names. I didn't plan to bring this up, but so now I'm blinking. But one of the last names on there, she was like, if you look up this so-and-so blank, he owned 200 slaves. And so then you think about from those 200 people who like how many of them took that last name just because they like had to, you know, and then went on and had kids from there. And her, um, her last name, I believe was Beatty. And so she was like, when I meet another person, like another black person with the name Beatty, I'm like, are we finally at the long awaited family reunion? And then when I meet a white person with the last name Beatty, or maybe it's Beatty, I can't remember. Um, 
I wonder how many slaves you owned and like how many of my family members you owned and well yeah like that I don't know how we came to this part but something oh yeah just like the proximity to white like you want these people to have these names but then it's like there's this whole connection to like any you know this name is a reminder of like the way that you know how we were oppressed and enslaved and everything right, like that right well that's why Malcolm X was that's what the X was for it was mm-hmm. Malcolm Little, but that was the name. that was right. the the slave owner's name. So he was like, "No, my I'm Malcolm X, unknown, because my last name is unknown." And that's what that's yep. like what we joke about with Bush, like the press, like yeah. you know, like you see a black Bush, you're like, "Oh, perhaps." And you see a white Bush, you're like, "Hmm." Mm-hmm. So, and somebody commented on here, and I don't remember. I don't know. If this is part of it's like give your daughters difficult names give your daughters names that command full use of the tongue and then somebody said if they can say tchaikovsky they can learn to say your name if yeah. they can say daenerys targaryen they can you know, just say exactly have you seen margo like how do you like <laughs> when i first saw mark like even if it ends in the t or if it ends in the what is it the eu like when there's like the Right, it's some form X and an E and a U in some way. How am I supposed to? But those are like, oh, that's completely fine, Margot. I think about that when I read names and stuff. How many names of like European names that I would think that's really weird to say, but I can say it. Like if I see Siobhan, like the S I O H. Yeah, how I know. Yeah, how I know that that's Siobhan, but Mm -hmm. then you know, but. That's that's what they do. So that brings yeah. me right in to the second part of cast because we're closing out Black History Month, and every uh, hopefully you've been peppered with Black History facts, and it's been great and it's been fun. But the thing that I don't know, may, it would be funny if there was a movement to get March to be um, and have come up with a clever name to be the the fe- the the things that because we celebrate the black history accomplishments in february and then march we celebrate shortest month of the year then, then march we celebrate um the reaction to those great back like those great <laughs> black accomplishments well, can we pick april because march is women's history month so i so, don't want to take away from us all right so maybe we we go to maybe we go to april but i, I just okay. or we can move women to april that's fine yeah, whatever, because that's not something that we really talk about and discuss. Yeah. But I found a July 2020. Remember what was happening in 2020 in July? Mm-hmm. Great times. Again, Teen Vogue out here just doing the Lord's work. Who knew? Oh, um, yeah. An article by Jeanette Cordova called, remember, this was in 2020, calling her shot. White backlash is the inevitable response to black progress in the United States. This is the first paragraph. Quote, anti-racist and anti-police brutality activism is currently receiving unprecedented levels of public support, which history has taught us will inevitably lead to strong backlash from conservative white America. Yeah. And it's always been that way. In 1865, you had the Emancipation Proclamation and the Civil War ended. In 1913, Sarah Rector is 11 years old when oil is discovered on her land in Oklahoma. Yep. 
1920, she is 18 and becomes a millionaire with the oil earnings. So she, and even at, at 11 years old, man, in the, the white paper was like, what? She is ignorant? What's she going to do with all of that money? So I was like, in 1920. Remember, the vast majority of Confederate monuments went up between 1900 and 1920s. Oh, yeah. They took a bit of a break because of the Great Depression in World War II and then resumed it in the 50s and 60s. With a vigor. And that's what, you know, think of all of the black history accomplishments and stuff. So it wasn't like the war ended, here are our Confederate monuments. No, it's just been the backlash. Barack Obama, first black president elected. We know how that went. Yeah. And it's still going. That's the point. Social justice advocate Jamira Burley said, quote, I think that's where the backlash oftentimes happens in the communities where poor white folks see black people fighting back. And because they themselves are in a position where they don't have anything, instead of looking to the system, which is the actual problem, they turn that hatred and anger toward black folks. Yep. Quote, these attitudes from white Americans, from those in low socioeconomic status households to those in ivory towers help create the atmosphere necessary to ignite the most insidious, harmful variety of white backlash, one that is systematic. Once the problem, like, then, then this is me talking, once it's a systematic problem, that's when it affects everyone. That's mm-hmm. when basic healthcare becomes unaffordable or yeah. illegal, no matter mm-hmm. your color of skin. Yeah. Oh, you want to have a kid? Oh, you can't? You need IVF? Good luck with that. Not anymore. Oh, you got, oh, you did get pregnant, but it's in your fallopian tube instead of in your uterus where it should be? Guess you're going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sucks to be you. That doesn't matter about the, your color of skin. No. It's a system. It infe- it affects infrastructure. Oh, you're driving down the road and the bridge collapses? Bridge don't care. You're black or white. Anything. Mm-hmm. SOL. It affects the climate, the climate change. All of these things that people are grappling with and that people are pissed off about. Uh, inflation. All of that is because people get so mad to thinking like, you're giving black people all of these things. It really goes, like, every time you see it, it's one step forward and two back. That article was written in 2020, and look at yeah. where we are today, banning all those books, and then it spreads out, and now you got, I mean, don't be transgender, forget about it. And right. that's only mm-hmm. going to make it worse for everybody else. You think that it was an accident that we have this opioid epidemic? No. They cut all of those drug things when there was the war on drugs because it was black people that they put into, that they piped in, that the government yes. piped into the inner cities, and it was affecting black people. Don't give them a social sh- safety net. Why you don't have a social safety net? Why you're SOL if you're poor? That's because the, the backlash. So February... All these black history, every time, there, there's always been. We say, oh, look, Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Then, then you get these Confederate flags. Then you get yeah. all of this stuff. After the Civil War, 
unprecedented amounts of black people were in political office holding yes. office. They said, no, we can't have that. And they were doing things that if we had now, oh my God, completely right. different story, but no. So good job, America. Also, yeah. it seems like a good time. I listened to a good podcast this week. I feel like I'm always plugging Jonathan Van Ness's getting curious. Um, and he did an episode if you're not familiar, he is, um, which we had, correct. we have a corrections, we have a corner, we had a suggestion corner this week. Oh. Adam said that we, we started talking about the trial, that trial last week. Yes. And we didn't give any specifics about it. And he was like, I didn't know anything about it. We were just talking about it like our listeners knew. The Fani trial? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So if you don't know about getting curious, Jonathan Van Ness. Um, from Queer Eye to the Straight Guy. Queer Eye, yeah. Picks a topic that he's curious about and wants to know more about, and he finds someone that's in the field and has them on their po- on his podcast. So um, this week it was Dr. Uche Blackstock and therapist, physician, and thought leader on bias and racism in healthcare. And the title of the episode is, is Healthcare Fair. And she recently, um, her new book came out called Legacy, A Black Physician Reckons with Racism in Medicine. And it just came out this week. And then, so I listened to that. And then like a couple days later, this girl that I is in my running group, I saw she posted, she went to a talk with her and said it was really good, inspiring. So um might be a good book recommendation. Mm, nice. But I do highly recommend the podcast. To answer your question, no, it's not. <laughs> Next. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so we're just nerd alerts and I have a few. Ooh, I do too. You go first. Um, I, I did say that, I already said it, Picanini in New Guinea means child, but in uh, United States... It, it's a very negative term for a black child, a child of color. Okay. But on the other hand, Ofe, which Harry Belafonte called er, the, the PTA er, people. Oh, did he? Oh, I thought was he was. It, oh, oh, it might have been the PTA people. That's a derogatory term for white people. That black but it people doesn't. Use. It just doesn't have the... I know. It doesn't have the... <laughs> it, I mean, you know, if you're going to do a derogatory term, you got to get German with it. you got to do the guttural. The... <laughs> it is a harsh language. Hmm. I am watching Masters in the Air, and German is a harsh language. I mean, if you're saying, you know, shut up in German, it comes out. <laughs> in French, it's ferme la bouche. <laughs> Shut your mouth. I mean, come on. Okay, moving on. Well, God bless you. It's good on date. Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> so, Harry Belafonte owed the uh, other person $7,500 in gambling debt. Today, mm-hmm. that would be 79488 mm-hmm. I mean... $79,000. They were going to get um, $50,000 from the heist, right? Mm-hmm. 
So that would be in today's money, five hundred twenty nine thousand over half a million dollars. Nine, uh, so pretty much five hundred thirty thousand dollars. And then they were splitting that three ways, so they would each get one hundred seventy six thousand six hundred forty two dollars. I mean, inflation is crazy. Okay, those were those were mine. You're welcome. So then they would only be middle class by what I'm seeing mm-hmm. on the internet today. People are claiming. Yeah. That's middle class. And then though. I went down a rabbit hole. They say that middle class is salary for middle class is $120,000. I told you I'm poor. <laughs> but uh, okay. How infuriating is that? And then I saw there's this TikTok trend of people asking, sorry, boomers. Um, uh, <laughs> She's banning herself. People asking boomers how much they paid for their house. Yeah. Infuriating. Just infuriating. And then, like, at, like, looking at how much rent. I went down a rabbit hole of, like, how much rent was. Like, rent was, like, less. Like, the average rent in the 50s was, like, $150, I want to say. New York mm-hmm. City was, like, you know, three, 400 probably. Mm-hmm. My father didn't graduate from college. He took a few college courses. And he was able to send three of his children to college, all paid for, have paid off a house, and had um, a, had a car, and a house that was uh, a housewife. She substituted, but... I mean, that was just a little bit of additional income. Not a college graduate. And he golfed. To, oh, oh, own a house. Have have golf as his passion. And send three kids through college, no, no debt. Like, all you needed was a full-time job. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Thank yeah. you, Joe Biden, for all the... Um, helping with the debt, the college debt for many people. Mm -hmm. But that's also a thing because people, there's going to be a backlash to that because people are going to think that it's a handout given to black people. But meanwhile, home ownership is a government handout. If you buy a house, that's the government handing you money. But people don't, they never talk about that. You know, that doesn't get brought up. But anything that has a tinge of helping black people, helping brown oh, yeah. people, that's, oh, yeah. that's their, that's, yeah. that, that gets flipped into white people are now like, now we're being discriminated against. Yeah. Oh, pity me. Yeah. The, what we are in now is a blacklash. I had to inform my book club because of. Well, I think it'd be, we had, isn't it a white lash? Well, it is them doing, we had eight years of a black president. Now it's time for the white people to come back into power and say, we're not doing that again. Yeah. And and then you have like the apathy of people being like, I thought the things were going to change, but then we don't really do a good job of explaining how the government works. So Right. Or how much Joe Biden has, has done for us. Yeah. And how much he could 
do like people really don't understand how the government works and how exactly. much what powers the president has and what powers the president doesn't and exactly. the importance of your local elections and your the people local, yeah and your state elections make so, guess what, what i get to do tomorrow do to, yeah vote. You yeah vote i am i right. i am i have to i have to get all of my paperwork i have been texting when people text me I have a standard question that I ask that's my issue, and if people respond back to me, so then I have to go through my text and see what they responded back to my question that I asked them, and then see where, where that sends up, and like do my homework, and fill out my ballot, and drop it off, because it has to be dropped off before March 5th. There you go. So. Well, okay, nerd, other nerd alerts. I had one. I went down... There was one line in the movie, but I went down a rabbit hole um, about Sing Sing Prison. Ooh, it flew over my head. Because the old man, what was his name? Oh, Ed Bagley, Ed Bagley. It was, it is David Burke. Yeah, uh, yeah. He spent some time at Sing Sing Prison. And I've heard that name a lot, so. Mm -hmm. I, I always like, think of pandas. Interesting. When I hear because Sing Sing, I think of pandas. Why? Wasn't Sing Sing the name of a panda? Ling Ling and Sing Sing? Was that a yeah. thing? Yeah. Then whenever yeah. I hear Sing Sing, Sing I think of pandas. Good. Okay. Yeah. Well, you should think of whatever you want, but Sing Sing Prison is a mac maximum security prison about 30 miles north of New York City in Hudson. Mm -hmm. And it housed the execution chamber for New York until the abolishment of capital punishment in 1977 in New York. Mm. It was, it in New York, there's still capital yeah. punishment in the oh, United yeah. States. Well, yeah. in the 70s, they got rid of it everywhere. And then, of course, they oh. brought it back. Yeah. And then it became, like a, I think, a state thing. But I think there, there was a period where they completely got rid of it. Yeah. And then they, mm -hmm. then they was like, no, now you can have it. And then the state's different states brought it back and then different states like abolished it so it's the state thing now mm -hmm. states right um, it was opened in 1826 Ooh. the wow. word sing sing was derived from the sink sink s-i-n-t-s-i-n-k native american tribe from whom the land was purchased Oh. Which I didn't get to look too much into. Yeah, Wikipedia said purchase. How, is that purchase doing a lot of work? It does say it was purchased in 1685 for $20,000. Hmm. Oh, wow. 1685 is a lot of money. I believe. Well, that's what was also said in 16 whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, we yeah. purchased it for, this, for a, a gazillion a dollars. Song. A song, I tell you. Yeah. Um I'm sorry, no, I'm just it's it's in it's in Ossining, New York. O S S I N I N G. Um Yeah, so I don't know. We'll have to look into that because I thought the same thought when I read purchase and <laughs> I don't know that I believed that. But Anywho, that's where the name comes from. And it was formerly, it was the name of the village that was there. So, 
Um, it was the fifth prison constructed by New York State authorities. And when it opened in 1826, it was considered a model prison because it turned a profit for the state. There we wow. go. Yep. There we go. Wow. In 1826, for profit prison. Since then, yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, they used the Auburn system and the Auburn system <laughs> in prison. Already doesn't sound good. Yeah, well, you were talking about how, like, slaves weren't allowed to talk in the field. Um, the Auburn system imposed absolute silence on the prisoners, so they were not allowed to speak at all. Absolute silence. And it was enforced by whipping and other punishments. Oh, I'm sure. Uh-huh. So in 1844, so this is about 20 years, 18 years after it was built, the New York Prison Association was inaugurated to monitor the state prison administration. I, too, am getting all of my information from Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we do, people. Yeah, I, I give money. It At was least we made know. Up, yeah, it was made up of reformer. You give money, good for you. Yeah, because I use it so much. Uh, not as much as I should, but, again, I'm poor. I'm doing my yeah. what I can. It was made up of reformers interested in the rehabilitation of prisoners through humane treatment. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And comes my girl. No, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Eliza Farnham. It's got to be good. Eliza. Down. My my notes. You got my notes. <laughs> yeah, Eliza Farnham. Uh-huh. F-A-R-N-H-A-M. She was an American novelist, feminist, abolitionist, and activist for prison reform. Okay. And wow. she obtained a position at, she was in charge of the women's ward at Sing Sing. And she was all about prison reform. And she overturned the strictly silent practice and introduced social engagement. Um, and she wanted to shift the idea and make it towards more towards rehabilitation, rehabilitation. And like, um, we want to like focus on social engagement to focus on the prisoner's future and like what they're going to do when they get mm -hmm. out of prison, um, rather than dwelling on their criminal past. Right. And one of the things, Sing Sing, I believe, write this part down um <laughs> i got yeah um they had and like they were one of the first to have a library i think oh, oh wow I I have a, do you know was it an integrated prison oh good question or was sure it, not in the 1800s yeah was it these are so they, we're just talking about like just white criminals white, like, I'm white women the, criminals the, the black criminals, they, they make it that far. No. Probably not. They're, they're digging the latrine for the white women to poop in. No, the black, they didn't even make it to the trial. It was. Oh, that's true, too. Strange fruit. Strange fruit. Um, so, okay, there was this 
Okay, so back before she was around, there was this guy, John Lucky, and he was the prison chaplain. And he ordered, like, he created a religious library for the prison with the purpose of teaching correct moral principles, but it was all religious teachings. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then Eliza comes in and yeah. she was, she brought in books by Charles Dickens and she still wanted to focus on like, you know, moral, you know, teaching with like the right moral things, but mm -hmm. she's credit. It's credited as being or the first documented expansion of the prison library to include moral teachings from a secular literature instead of just religious oh, teaching. Just religious, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And she also advocated using music and kindness in the rehabilitation of prisoners. Oh, and so she just seems kind of like a badass lady for the 1800s, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, she, and then I kind of not laugh. But the last line of her Wikipedia bio said, she died from consumption in New York City at the age of 49. She was an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of made me love her even more. Yeah. I mean, it, I thought that the pilgrims came over here, like, because they wanted religious freedom. Like, I... I really thought that this country was founded on, hey, anything you want to believe, it's all right. Well, Actually, they, they probably interviewed one shit. person that said that. Actually, I thought that this, this whole like, country's get down was the big F word, freedom. I think mm. that's what's wild. Mm. I thought that's what... Yeah. It does say in her Wikipedia, though. So, in 1843, she wrote a series of articles for brother jonathan which that sounds like a whole other publication <laughs> refuting yeah. refuting john neal's call for women's suffrage in that same newspaper but oh. elizabeth caddy stanton and susan b anthony wrote in 1887 that miss farnham lived long enough to retrace her ground and accept the highest truth mm -hmm. i thought though that susan b anthony um you know did a lot for women but was not a fan of black people right mm. i just read that yeah, in that. uh the book i'm reading that i daren't mention again <laughs> you can um, mention it why are you so because you told me i told you guys about it 17 times but yeah that she was big on women's rights but you know if that included the black people and they were going to yeah. drag us well down, yeah that's a whole other issue just leave that leave that there and we used to in second grade teach susan b anthony and um a woman of unfortunate physical features but um not that <laughs> that matters she she was ugly but um and and so she I think her so ugly. Had, she was white and people said she was ugly. Damn. She, yeah, she was white and people said she was ugly and she wasn't looking out for her black sisters. So I'm just saying. That's, that's well, a, there's a long streak of that in feminism. Yeah. She is not the only one. No. Isn't well, to close a, out. Oh, sorry. Okay. To close out Sing Sing, after 1900, um, Thomas Mott Osborne's tenure as warden of Sing Sing, he was brief but dramatic. 
He arrived in 1914 with a reputation as a radical prison reformer. His report of a week-long incognito stay inside New York's Auburn prison indicted traditional prison administration in merciless detail. And he wrote a book during his time in Sing Sing called Society and Prisons, Some Suggestions for a New Penology, which was interesting, would probably be an interesting read, well, boring, but learning, <laughs> learned read right now, which influenced the discussion of prison reform and contributed to a change in societal perceptions of incarcerated individuals, which, you know, this is still a thing in 1914 and look where we are today. Well, it's boat. interesting though, because you say she came in and there was we had slavery in the country. And then you look at what my man, right. when my man came in 1914, that goes in line with mm -hmm. the, what are we calling it? The white lash? You know, the black people take one step forward and then exactly. white people push them back two steps mm -hmm. back. I don't mm -hmm. think, and you were like, oh, the new, and he's coming in with all of the new and the, the new way to think about prisoners. I wonder, mm -hmm. like, what also that entails about prisoners. And when people think of prisoners, what do they think of? I bet mm -hmm. they're not thinking of Dickens characters. You know, that's kind of, I, I don't, what am I saying? I'm just mm -hmm. following the breadcrumbs that this country has led for me. <laughs> but I'm crazy. Well, prisoners who had under his prisoners who had bribed officers and intimidated other inmates lost their privileges under Osborne's regime. One of them conspired with powerful political allies to destroy Osborne's reputation, even succeeding in getting him indicted for a variety of crimes and maladministration. After Osborne triumphed in court, his return to Sing Sing was a cause for a wild celebration by the inmates. Who knows if I believe that? Mm -hmm. Um there was another notable warren called Lewis Laws, and he was there for 21 years as Sing Sing's warden until 1941. He brought about old reforms and turned what was described as an old hellhole into a modern prison with sports teams, educational program, new methods of discipline, and more. Several new buildings were constructed during those years, and then he retired. In 1943, the old cell block was closed and the metal bars and doors were donated to the war effort. Oh. And in 1989, the institution was accredited for the first time by the American Correctional Association, which established a, a set of national standards by which it judged every correctional facility. As of 2019, Sing Sing houses approximately 1,500 inmates, employs about 900 people, and has hosted over 5,000 visitors per month. That sounds like it's like a fun place to go, but I'm sure it's just it. 1,500 inmates' families. Um, the original 1,825 cell block, wait, the original 1825, so I don't know what that means, um, is no longer in use, the original cell block. And in 2002, plans were announced to turn it into a museum. In April 2011, there were talks of closing the prison to take advantage of its valuable real estate. And it's now 2024, so I don't know where that ended. That's all that Wiki left me. Is it privatized? Mm. Is it still for profit? I'm. Sh it didn't tell me that. Sure. Hmm. I don't. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know about this sing scene. Yeah, I, I know. know. It doesn't sound like a good place. But I did. I thought my girl Eliza was interesting. She was mm -hmm. a, yeah. a woman yeah. doing the work in the 1800s. Trying what she could do, yeah. Just the whole thing of like that's just what is wild is that it's not 
hey, these people, they do these bad things. There's some people, hey, they're just, there's a lost call. I mean, we can try, but that they're just really bad. But then there's other people, yeah. there's circumstances. Let's, let's rehabilitation. Yeah. Let's, let's give them the tools to succeed outside. No, not. Let's let them, rate. let's help, let's let them train dogs. And no. That's where the Ava DuVernay documentary comes in. Nah, because we got rid of slavery, but we still needed a way to produce cheap labor. And that's the prisons. Right. So. Mm-hmm. right. The um, first for profit prison, 1826. Yeah, ahead of the curve. Yeah, for profit. There you go. So this film came out in October 1950. What were you going to say, Ma? No, I'm ready for you with your um, nerd alert. So it came out in 19, October 1959. In 1959, October. Alaska becomes the 49th state and Hawaii the 50th state. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I was in... What were they before? Great. They were, they were just there. They were just I'm out sorry, there. I feel stupid, but they were just like I there. Think, I think Alaska was probably... It was, I don't know if it was a ter- a U.S. territory or if it was part of Canada, but um, both of these things, if you look at the 1959 and we're getting, we were coming out of, I mean, by that time, coming out of Korea, right? But it had been mm-hmm. World War II, Korea. So it was basically the West versus communism and mm-hmm. Alaska and Hawaii are both, Hawaii before, that was like a, a territory, but it that was hugely vital um for world, world war ii because if you look mm-hmm. at a map like hawaii is out there in the pacific all and, by itself and i'm sure that the, the native hawaiians have a lot more to say about oh, wow. statehood There's, and all of yeah. that i'm There's sure also there. native alaskans have a um probably have an earful to say about that as well yeah exactly in 1959 Motown Records is founded by Barry Gordy mm-hmm. in 1959. Mom goes, wow. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I was seven in 1959, and I feel like Motown Records was always there. No. Mm-hmm. Y'all were doing... No, 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 no. No, we were doing... Um, wait, we were doing the... Um, Charleston. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that, that. 1915. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go Mom. on, Eric. Go on. 1959, Lorraine Hansberry becomes the first black woman to produce a show on Broadway when her play, A Raisin in the Sun, opens. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. A Raisin in the Sun. Did, did we mm-hmm. the movie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sydney, yes? Yes. In the movie, okay. yes. The Guggen Museum of Modern Art that was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, mm. who, ha- who died earlier that year in 1959, opens to the public in New York City. The Guggenheim. Wow. What yeah. a beautiful building. And so many f- movies were filmed there. The, that staircase mm-hmm. situation. I'd like, to, I'd like to go to like a Guggenheim or some kind of museum the next time that I visit you all. Yeah. You when Adam and I went, last time we were there's like certain times where you can get and it's like free or mm-hmm. donation based and 
Are you happy to donate? Out here at the LACMA, if you have a um, Los Angeles County ID, it's free after 3 p.m. Nice. I am waiting for that. There's a subway line that is going to open in 2025 that's right there, and I am so excited oh, really? and waiting for that. Yeah. I can just, I'll, can just take the subway down to there. And that's also where the um, the tar pits are, and there's, like, an automotive museum there, and that's the... Uh, where we were. Yeah, the Academy of Arts, Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences Museum is right there. So there's mm-hmm. a lot there. In 1959... British Empire Day is renamed to Commonwealth Day. Excuse hey. me while I sip on my colonizer drink. Oh, yes, darling. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, I have a gin concoction that I have named the colonizer because it's gin and tea. And I thought that's funny because it's tea and the British love tea. So Exactly. The colonizer. And the Scottish love their tea. Ah, gin. <laughs> um, this 1959, the first large action in the Vietnam War takes place between the Army of Vietnam and the Viet Cong. 1959. Yeah. So that'll end well. Um, it's just wild to think like 1959. Wow. And that war is pretty much. A, like we say we were in a cold war but the vietnam war was about communism versus like that's what that war was that's what the two fighting sections were was the west versus communism so yeah kind of wild to be like oh it was just the cold war like there was an actual war going on it was a war war and it went on for decades although i think it was never really classified as a war although we always say it was a war it, it was, was never conflict. like declared war, so it's always considered like technically it it wasn't a war; it was a conflict. But tell that to all the people who died. Exactly, or the ones who came back, and are still dealing with the aftermath. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me started on you want to talk about inf- what we were talking about before about infrastructure and all of that. I mean, how we treat veterans in this country. Yes. Considering like people wrap themselves in the flag, wow. It, yeah, but not when it comes to taking care of the people who are actually there, away from. Okay. Well, because the people who are actually there, disp- you're poor, and you're a person of color, the people of color, you know. And but hey, keep keep on going with what what got you there. See how it goes. Finally, in 1959. Thanks to a grant from one Harry Belafonte, who supported African American Students Foundation, a grant was given to one Barack Obama Sr., who goes to... Yeah, he, he was given a grant so he could go study at the University of Hawaii, where he meets his second wife, Ann Dunham, and the rest is, as they say, history. That was, that's Barack Obama's mom. And his dad, they met because of Harry Belafonte. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was like, do you guys want to know about the films and the Oscar stuff? Or do you want me to skip it? Go ahead, real fast. Okay. The top five films, number five was Pillow Talk. Number four was Some Like It Hot. Number three was Operation Petticoat. Number two was The Shaggy Dog. And number one was Ben Hur. Pillow Talk was our movie of the year one. 
Mm-hmm. It was. We liked Pillow Talk a lot. Mm-hmm. And some like it hot. I yeah. Don't, I, I think we did that before Teeny. I think we did that BT. Yeah. Teeny, remember, you can always go back and pick something that we've already done. I know, but I, I feel like I have a one and done shot at that, and I got to pick it carefully. No, no you, you don't pick, have no. a one and done. It, no. It's unlimited. Okay. Yeah. Um. The Oscars, we have the nominees were Room at the Top, never heard of. Mm-hmm. The Nun Story, never heard mm-hmm. of. The Diary of Anne Frank. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And Anatomy of a Murder, which I believe we did. Mm-hmm. We did Anatomy of yeah, a Murder. Yeah, we did. But the winner was Ben Hur. And we're not going to watch it because it's a, about 150 years long. Oh, okay. It was not like, like, Biblical times, or am I it confused? It was. It was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was Charlton Heston, and uh, I went with my two siblings and my mother and aunt to the drive-in to see it. They took a loaf of white bread, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> and just kept feeding me pieces of white bread because I would ask, "What is?" I was I was obsessed with leprosy. And anytime I ask about it, they feed me another piece of white bread, so I shut the fuck up. Oh man, give me a loaf of white bread right now. I, uh, I will lose my I'm just ever loving say mind. It, it wasn't wonder because we never did anything brand name. It would have been a Kroger brand. Okay, but, but that's how your dad was able to buy you the house and send you all this the house college. in my my entire college yeah. education. Which costs about the same as my braces did. So we are to reheatable. Excuse me, but I also wanted to mention that we've done two other movies from 1959. We did North by Northwest. That also came out in 1959. And it wasn't nominated for anything? No. Cary Grant, I'm sorry. And also Darby O'Gill and the Little People came out in 1959. Oh my God! This is the season. Yeah. Tis. The season. So we are to reheatables negative. And I mean, bigotry. I mean, dude, <laughs> oh my God. And then calling his female partner stupid. Ugh, can't deal. Can't deal. Then when they're beating up Harabel- Harry Belafonte, all I can say is not the face. Don't hit him in the face. That was a pretty man. Mm-hmm. Now I have taunting with N in it someone mm. until they react. And then it was his fault because he reacted. Are you talking about I mean, the, the soldier guy? Yeah, when he keeps going, come on, come on, come on, hit me, come on, hit me. Well, I just, mean, the, just the, like, what are you thinking? So there's the, the um, uh, Ray, white guy, the beginning white guy Rogers, guy. Wayne Earl, Rogers. Wayne the, the character's name in the film is Earl. He's at a bar. He is feeling emasculated. I didn't write this down, but guys, he's feeling emasculated because his girlfriend, who was younger than him, played by Sherry Winters, is paying basically all the bills. And she's Mm -hmm. like, hey, can you go pick up my dress? So he's carrying, he had to go pick up. And then babysit. 
Yeah, he had to pick up yeah. a woman's dress. So he stops in the bar with a woman's dress, and there's the guy that he would go on to be a mash. He's just what, off a of basic training or something, yeah. and he's showing like all the moves that he learned. This guy has, um, pretty sure he's probably a veteran of World War II. I'm pretty much oh, guessing, yeah. or Korea. Either way, the man has seen some shit. Some I don't understand. Shit. I don't understand how in 1959 you could be. Uh, I guess that's just that male, like, being a young guy, getting that suit on, picking a fight with somebody that, like, your dad was probably that guy's age. And you're, I just, the things that that generation saw and that that man saw, and you're going to, like, you punch, like, he's actually been in war and you haven't. And you keep and goading you keep saying, him. Punch me. Go ahead, punch me. And then How he do does, you not? That was I the one time him. I did have a tiny twinge of empathy for the guy because he punched him and he and we I think he it had been established that the man had killed somebody like outside of combat right and he punched him and the guy was on the ground like in bad shape and everybody Mm. looked at him like he was just joking I'm sorry no that dude was I was totally with uh he was a bigot he was a horrible person but Dude kept taunting him. Yeah, at some point, that was his own fault. Gotta... That was his own damn fault. Yeah, I agree. Okay, and uh, begging not to be left. Don't leave me. Don't leave me, Earl. What? What's his name, Earl? Don't mm-hmm. leave. I can't. Um, I can't. Say that inside your head, but not out loud. Because it's not gonna work. Mm. Because have... he's gonna sleep with the hoe upstairs, and yeah, I only have two. I wrote down creep picking up little kids. <laughs> no, yeah. How dare he? How dare then... he? Also, did you the... notice when he picked up the kids? So it's a whole. They're on the sidewalk. It's a whole group of kids. It multiracial kids. The le- they're running in a line. He stepped in her way and picked mm-hmm. her up. Because mm-hmm. she was a pickaninny, so. Ma. That's what it was in the movie. And then I just wrote Whiskey with Water. And there's another movie we did that had that in it, too. And I can't remember what it was. Mm. But pick the ice cube. Go for the ice cube. He offered you ice. Don't go for My whiskey. My father water. used to say. If they wanted water in it, they would have done it at the distillery. That's where I get that from. Mm-hmm. So, is that did he put ice cubes in things? Yeah, he would okay. use ice cubes. At times, sometimes just straight. Because when I'm making you all's drinks, I have to remember to add the water. Because <laughs> when I make my like the gin gimlet for myself, I'm you add water? She does. Oh, they have teeny. They have. They each have a very specific. It's a. It's a. It's not even a shot glass. It's almost like three fourths of a shot glass of water, and it can't just be. You have to open an avion. You have to put avion in it. But yeah, Poppy started that to try to. You know, I mean, there. Yeah. But I'm like, you'll get water from the ice cubes melting. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I, I I do like that. That was from my grandpa because I'm like, what what are we doing yeah. here? Yeah, what is this about? Yeah. Um, is it on me? Mm-hmm. Okay. My first negative reheatable. Sorry, hot takes. Apologies, but I don't think it's aged well. That is the name Earl. It does well. I mean. James, James Earl, Earl Ray. Earl Ray. Yeah, yeah, I'm out. You got this Earl. guy. His name is Earl. I hear Earl. I'm, 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 That's I'm true. on, I'm on a, I'm, I'm on my toes. Cause cause you think of Grammy's house and that property, um, to the side of Grammy's house. That that was a farmer named Earl. He had chickens, so there were lots of rats around. Yeah. Just the name Earl. Earl. Not a good, not a good look. Next one we have gambling taking down another black musician two weeks in a row. I know. Gambling beyond your means. I mean, you guys go to Vegas and you have a set amount that you're good, but gambling seventy five hundred dollars. Gambling addictions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which was which was which was $80,000 in gambling debt at that point. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Even $7,500 at this point in 2024 would be. Yeah. No, no. no. Make for us, but yeah. I have also, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the weird New York City street traffic situation going on. Like at the beginning, there's that yeah. big road and there was just a single white line down the middle in what today would I'm pretty sure be like five a five lane road. And then you would did you watch the cars that were also yeah. just doing really wild nice. whatever? Did you see the men who were in their twenties playing stickball in the middle of that big street? I was just like, what is going on here? Jeez. No wonder they were called Trolley Dodgers, the the Brooklyn Dodgers. They're now in Los Angeles. But that was their original name. But just the amount of people who probably just died from getting hit by cars and weird car accidents. I mean, what's her face? How um the the Charleston dancer, Pelvic, broke her pelvis. I don't yeah. know if she was in New York City, but I could see yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, how about Johnny, who is Harry Belafonte's character? He sure did leave his little girl with a lot of strangers. Agreed. I mean, just keep keep her going on the carousel until I get back. Keep her, here. No. Can you mm-hmm. watch her? And then, mm-hmm. like when you just the the. The sheer magnitude of um, abuse that, especially like with with women, but I think all people like that is that you're we're just now kind of starting to unpack of just how crazy prevalent and that that is. And I'm watching that. I'm like, well, I, I mean, it's that was just wild to me. Like here, here, watch my kid. Here, watch my kid. I'm like, she's a little girl in New York City. Oh man. Um, and then pulling a gun on a man that you owe a lot of money to, who was a like a mob boss, Harry Belafonte, and a little tiny gun too. Like, 
might I say, a pussy gun? I mean, it was a really small gun. He's back on the gin after two weeks. But, <laughs> yeah. And then we, we think of, like, in, in Mo Better Blues last week, and he, you know, he got beat up, it seemed like, for less. But Harry Belafonte was just, no, just go out on this, do this heist thing. But he, but... What was that name? Baco? He was pissed off that he pulled a gun on him. That did not go over well. And then finally... Okay, what, Ma? I mean, Baco had been extending his credit and, and like, giving him a lot of leeway. Yeah, he was was real lucky there. Mm -hmm. Um, And my final one is, you know, I think that they really could have used Lori as a lookout. Because she could have been when, at least like if the police or somebody came, she could have dealt with that and had them turn the other way. Sure, my man, man's racism was going to doom them from the start, but I feel like Shirley Winter's character would have been down for it and would have been pretty good at it. But maybe I'm misreading the character. Tini, did we do your negatives? Yeah. So... That reminds me of Harry Belafonte going on with this heist when one of one of the three dudes is a total bigot. I mean, that is your... But he didn't have a choice. Yeah, it's true. Because that was the That's only true. way that Baco wasn't going to kill him. That's true. Okay, positives. New York City. Mm-hmm. Time for me oh, to come yeah. visit. Harry Belafonte, period. And then Harry Belafonte singing and playing the... The vibes. The vibes. Um, Harry not sitting at the back of the bus. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. I like that. Gas station attendants. Do you people know that if you stop for gas in New Jersey, there are Mm -hmm. still gas station attendants? It's so nice. Someone who drives in New Jersey? Yes. It blew my so mind. Nice. When I, I was know. in college, I was like, wait, It's what? amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, Dristan, there was a... Um, <laughs> yeah. But Drist, okay. So someone who always has had sinus issues. Dristan was my go-to before... Oh, the thing that they got rid of because they make meth out of it. Yeah, uh, we Who'd can buy said? guns because Drixoral. Drixoral. Drixoral oh was God. amazing. Saved my life, and now I'm Claritin D. But Dristan was my original go-to. Was that a? Did they take it? Did they stop it because it was like a methamphetamine or something? Probably, but it cleared up my sinuses. And then, um. Harry Belafonte's ex-wife keeping it real. I mean, she had the hots for him, but she kept going, no, not going to cross this line because I'm taking care of this baby. Well, that was fortitude because that would be really hard too. Well, but then plus, I'm guessing it was probably easier considering how much money he owed. I I know, but he's there kissing you, and he's so pretty. I know, but he's like a dead man walking, and I don't want... Uh, they come too. after the people that he's closest to. And they told him. Okay, other positive reheatables. But you could, there's a couple good dogs, the wiener dog and the very there beginning. There were. 
a German Shepherd. Um, I liked how realistic what's his name was, like with his dog. He everybody like when he'd be like, don't you know, wanting people to take off their coats because they're gonna get hair all over them. Mm-hmm. The name Edie. Mm, yeah. And Central Park. Yes. I have, I like that David, he was the old guy. He was a policeman. So I have that this wasn't propaganda because he was a policeman who refused to cooperate with state crime investigators mm-hmm. during a corruption hearing. So mm-hmm. he, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a great guy. Mm-hmm. Sort of like the writer of this, a uh, co-writer of this that didn't cooperate with the Un-American activities community. You know, that is that does bring out an interesting part because point that is true. However, like it's all in how you look at it. Because I look at it as the writer of this of being in the right of not cooperating with the House of Un-American Committees, but then David of being in the wrong because he refused to cooperate with the investigators who were investigating corruption. But then Maybe those people were also corrupt in that. I just have a feeling that the guy who went on to play the bank heist because he didn't get his payout probably wasn't a great cop. Uh, there's that. If, I, if I'm playing that string out. There you go. All the different kinds of shops on Main Street. Rest in mm. peace. That was crazy. And I bet those sandwiches were delicious. Mm-hmm. The masks that they wore? Yeah, I know. I forgot to write that one down. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I saw them when they were putting them on. I'm like, those are like masks. And they put them down in there, tucked them in under their collars. And then when they put them on, I was like, oh, snap, look at that. Look at us in 2020. And then finally, my final good reheatable is the character of Harry Belafonte's Johnny. So many times we've done movies where Sidney Poitier is in it and he's asexual. He's not a sexual being. Yeah. But, man, Harry Belafonte is just oozing sex appeal. There's just mm-hmm. like, there um, he is. You cannot deny that. And then he's also like, I mean, true, he did leave his kid with all these different... But you could tell that he he was a part of his daughter's life until he, you know, now Was isn't. It? But... He cared about his daughter. He was a father to her mm-hmm. and stuff, but you know, got caught up in that gambling addiction. Exactly. So where the quotables? Here's to our mutual benefit. May it be considerable. It's never going to work out, people. I mean, it's never going to work out. How, how many film noirs have we done? It's not going to work. That little boy is in big trouble. That was the female singer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You old now. That's my that's that's my mantra. That's everybody's mantra on this podcast. I got sorry news for everyone. <laughs> I've spent more sleepless nights with you than you know. I have that too. That's a lie. Because he was saying it to the Gloria Graham character who had a baby that was sleeping upstairs and he Mm -hmm. was, I mean, he was seducing her, but the whole thing was like, yeah, I've heard that kid cry so many nights that I've been Mm -hmm. up with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Someday I'm going to snap, snap off your poisoned head. Hmm. Those are mine. The only other one I had was, what you doing with such a big dog? This was just a big old dog in New York. Yeah. And what did he, do you have what he said? Something about never finding a wife. Yeah, he didn't have a wife, which was kind of like, hmm. That can be problematic. It could be good, but also it's, hmm. Moving on. I have, yeah, yeah, I know. I got rid of a headache. Now I got cancer. That's what Johnny Mm -hmm. said. And I'll be waiting. You're just another white spot to me. Because yes. Robert Ryan had called him a black spot. And he was like, oh, I'm waiting. That was one of the also things for 1959. You know, what's his face would dig, you know, dish out the bigotry. But Harry Belafonte wouldn't back down. He gave Came it right, right back. back. Yes, he did. And then finally at the end, because they both end up on top of a gas thing. And they shoot each other and they just blow up. And it's just their crispy bodies. And the medical examiner is like, which is which? And the guy's like, take your pick. It, was just like, it don't matter none. Y'all both ended up the same color now. Ha ha. Okay, so uh, LVP. I have a Fuckboy of the Year award for Earl mm. Slater. Mm. I, I have the same LVP. Just like America, we... We could have had it all, but no. But no. Uh, so my real LVP is bigotry. I forgot to do LVP, so I'm going to go with the same. <laughs> Earl? Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. Mine was the same as yours. It's Earl. So MVP, I have... Three. Harry Belafonte. Uh, film noir, because this was the last quotation marks film noir. But my real MVP is Abraham Polanski, who was the co-writer, and he refused to testify for the. Uh, American uh, Un-American Activities Committee. Mm-hmm. I had Harry Belafonte as my MVP. I know. God, he was so he was good. I a bad guy, but you love him. I have a specific Harry Belafonte scene moment from this because it. I just thought it was so funny. It's a vibraphone meltdown. Like it's when he oh, was yeah, at the that scene, was good. and he had him, and he got so mad and so angry. But he's playing the vibraphone, and I thought that was so funny because to me that's it's one of the weirdest instruments to get mad on. If you get mad at the piano, you can be like da ba ba, and it can be all dissonant, you know, the trumpet, the uh, saxophone. You can do, do all these things, but the vibraphone, as he's being like all mad, hitting the mallets, it's still. It sounds adorable. It does. It's a cool instrument. And he's just so mad, but he's still just being so like, yeah, look at this guy. He's just jazzing. Why is he so mad? He's vibing, man. The vibes. So recasting, I didn't do one, but I was thinking, okay, so we could do 
genre, male male versus female, we could have done that. We could have done like Palestinian versus Israeli, you know, for for all the the anti-Semitics, I mean, the uh, bigotry shit. Uh, So I didn't do one. I don't know if anybody else did one. I, I didn't do one. Exactly. So my tasties. Oh, yeah. The first film noir with a black protagonist. Aaron, uh, dude used infrared film. Did you he go did. into that at all? Mm-hmm. He's, Robert Wise said he wanted to try something different, so he used infrared film. Quote, he said... You have to be very careful with that because it turns green things white and you can't get too close on people's faces. It does it does distort them, but it gives that wonderful quality. Black skies with white clouds and it changes the feeling and the look of the scenes. So he didn't use it all throughout the film, but there are right. some scenes that give it that weird kind of cool look to it. And that's with infrared film. And the beginning of uh, the the opening credits, it was everything was out of focus behind the credits, and I feel like that was Harry Bel- Harry Belafonte's character. He knew not to do it. He knew not to go into this, but he didn't have a choice because he owed this money, and they were saying they were going to kill his his wife and his da- daughter. So you know he was like out of focus. Because he mm. really wouldn't have gone into a heist like this with a bigot, knowing that dude wasn't going to look out for him in the end. Yeah, and he knew it when, as soon as he was, like, in the car, it was like, give me the keys. Because yes. that, that was the whole yeah. thing, was that he was the black guy, and so even if cops were there, they wouldn't think anything of that guy walking out of the door. But mm-hmm. he was so, so lost in the sauce of his bigoted sauce I mean, that guy really, 1959, it's pretty much, you look at that guy and his thinking, and it's wild how we're still dealing with that and where That's we exactly are today. That's exactly what I, we could do, we could do this film today because of the bigotry that. But it's, it's like, it's pretty much the history of America is that yeah. guy. Like, we could have had it all. Things could have been so much better for everyone. But he had to go, and and you have the guy who, you know, the old guy. He was that he at one point was like, like shut up about your civil war jazz and stuff. Exactly. Everybody's created equal. We're all going to do this. It's a perfect plan. We're just going to get in and out and get this money. And that guy was like, he just he refused to give the keys to the black man. Exactly. They, I mean, they were criminals, but it it, I mean, it is it's it's America. Shelly Winters took the part without reading the script, just hearing who was in it. Yeah, he was like the the co-star. She was like the director. Oh, and it's shooting in New York City. Done and done. Opportunity, yep. Hmm? Robert Ryan, the bigot in this, and we've said was actually a liberal and very socially conscious. He lived in the Dakota. Mm -hmm. Who did he sell his apartment to? John and Yoko. John and Yoko. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We've done the bartender with Cicely Tyson. Production was Harbell. But Johnny's car. Poppy was 
busy with other stuff because I wanted Poppy to tell me what kind of car that was he was driving because that was a cool race car. Sports well, it, it wasn't the thing was it was a the outside was just a station wagon. It was the end when he lifted it up to look in to see the engine. Oh, are you talking about Harry Belafonte sports car? Yeah. yeah. At the beginning. And I read somewhere where it was Corvette. And I'm going, that is not a Corvette. It was an Austin Healey. Oh, 100-6. Um, but the part where they had a to get away, the getaway car was an old station wagon, but inside was this, I mean, magnificent engine. That reminds me of our friend G3 who had, he wanted to buy this car. So he took his mom to look at it and she's going, um, okay. So they open the hood and everything is pristine under the hood. And then there are these two extra like tanks and it's like, what are, what are those for? And he's going, oh, those are extra fuel tanks for like, if you run out of gas, <laughs> it was a, it was a, um, like a it racing a, car. It was a, it was a, a bootlegger car. Oh, <laughs> so that you could outrun the car. So it was a NASCAR and, basically. Like, yeah, the, it or, was yeah. Exactly. Like a NASCAR. But, you know, he was selling her on. It's just if the you safety. run out of gas, you have some extra gas there. Yeah, but he used it because he liked to drag race. Okay. Um, it was Wayne Rogers' first film. Um, okay, that's the end of mine before we get into what's next. My The only other tasty titty I have is that we already mentioned how Abraham Polanski... He how he was blacklisted. So uh, Harry Belafonte wanted him to write the script, but he's blacklisted at this time, so he's not supposed to. We're not supposed to be able to hire him. So Harry Belafonte got his friend John O. Killens, who is a black novelist, and he was credited as the screenwriter. So Abraham wrote the screenplay, and it was just them. And that's what they would do a lot, is that they would have other people who were like, yep, I wrote the screenplay, cool, it's me. And it wasn't until around 1996, 1997, that the Writers Guild of America, the that's the union that represents writers, that they restored uh, Polanski's name, right. like credit, that wow. gave him credit. So if we had done this film, if we had podcasts were a thing and we had done this in 1995 we would have said that it was written by john o killens right wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but that just goes in with harry belafonte and how he's just like all right this is what i want to do y'all want me mm-hmm. to do it i'm gonna game the system like how he created the dummy corporations and stuff and mm-hmm. that's why i'm just like man that guy what a cool guy yes we already said all about Tasty's throughout. Nice. Well done, Gaga. I loved it. I had never yeah, heard it was of good it. Movie. Yeah. I mean, uh, what, when I saw, I was like, "Who is that?" Cicely Tyson. That, I know. That, that was it for me. And then yeah. Milt Jackson. I was just like, "This is nuts. What's going on?" So next week. I believe it's my pick. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, we are 14 minutes over uh, Teeny's 
time limit. No. It's a two hour, 14 minute film. Mm -hmm. Sorry. It's 1967. It's a crime thriller. Hmm. Directed by Richard Brooks. Hmm. We have John Forsythe. We have Rosie Greer. Rosie Greer was a famous football player in the oh, 1955 really? to 62. He was a New York giant. Uh, then he was an LA Ram. I from know. 63 to 66. He actually, when uh, Senator Robert Kennedy was assassinated, he's the one who caught Syrian Syrian in that um, the Los Angeles hotel. The ambassador or something? Is that mm -hmm. what it was? Uh, also, we have Robert Blake. Robert Blake. In Cold Blood. How did you do that? Wow. Well, how did you do that? I'll, I'll tell you how my deduction happened, if you would like to know. You said it was 1967. Yeah. But I know that right now we're watching... That's how you know, Capote. We're watching the feud with the Capote. And then when yeah. you said Robert Blake, then I was like, hmm, it could be a cool... Because if you listen to this podcast, I spit out a lot of things that I'm wrong. So that's why I just spit that out. Yeah. Okay. But it, that's based... It... Okay, go ahead, Ma. So I have been watching Feud, Capote with the Swans, and then I watched um, a documentary, quotation marks, uh, the the Capote tapes, Capote? and um, yeah. So he wrote Breakfast at Tiffany's, which we've done. He wrote In Cold Blood, and but with this one, it he. He like went to where this murder had happened, Teeny. So it's a real true crime, life, mm -hmm. real, true crime, real mm -hmm. life murder. But he wrote the book in cold blood, but he changed facts and he added scenes that never took place. Oh, interesting. He manipulated dialogue because he was fascinated with the Robert Blake character and kind of had. The like hots a, for him? The hots for that character. So he wrote so, fan fiction? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wild. So, yeah, Truman we, Capote. In, in real blood. life, Truman Capote was best friends with uh, What's-Her-Face, who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. And the character yes, of Harper, Harper Lee. Lee. And the, was it Dill or Dell? Like that's based on him, the little blonde boy. Yes, the, he's yeah. not extremely blonde, but yes, the little boy who just doesn't fit. He was uh, born and raised in the South. Little, uh, little boy who doesn't fit in with Southern values and such. Well, he and was so, he was like gay, right? Extremely. And he was extremely smart and verbose and wordy. And so, yeah, he just, that did not fit in with his. And not then, plus, all. and then I think like in real life, his mom then like moved them up to New York. And he was also really good. Like he kind of became famous before he was always at writing, but then he became famous for like there were pictures of him taken and people were like, oh my God, who is this? Because he mm -hmm. was. Like, kind of as a 
like really young boy. So it was kind of like weirdness going on with that. And then his mom seems like she had mental health issues because she ended yes. up taking herself out the game. So yeah. There was and like then at, weird as because. with many stories we hear of gay men who just want to please their mom and she was not a woman who would be pleased and she was not happy to have a son who was um, gay and presented as gay. Like he didn't try oh. to hide it. And in the, in the uh, feud, the mom is played by Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. I mean, you can't do better than that. But so, that is yeah. kind of weird because she took herself out the game. Like, like she didn't live very long. And I love Jessica Lang, but that kind of, it, I like, I guess I shouldn't say anything, but you know what I'm saying. It is a weird kind of, if you look, if you do the like Google maths and you're just kind of like, huh, interesting. Okay. But I guess we should be happy because she's a great actress and let's not like, shut up, Aaron. Stop talking. <laughs> Don't dig yourself a hole. Yeah. I'm digging myself that. such a hole. Yeah. But it's, fascinating to me i mean um truman capote in the 60s the social oh and also we did murder by death and he was in that and they show that in the exactly in the show exactly and they show it in the in the documentary as well so i'm just fascinated with the whole situation and i thought well actually i wanted to do giant with, oh, yeah. I wanted to do Giant, Rock Hudson, Elizabeth Taylor, um, dude, dude, come on, help me. And it's three hours long. Oh, so I, Clark Gable. No, no. no. Um, James, James Dean. Dean. Yeah. James Dean. I think it was his last film. So. Was- Marilyn Monroe in that? No, she was yes. in the Misfits. Oh, she was? Yes. I get that Misfits and Giant confused in my head. Yes. So, but it was three hours long, so I regrouped and I did. We might have to do that, though, Teeny, because it's got so many people in it. It does. And in that period of time. But it's a true crime. crime. Mm-hmm. It really I happened. I wanted to see it. This. I haven't yeah. seen it before. And I did read the book, so... Um, okay, in cold blood next time, this has been Odds Against Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow. <laughs> I keep wanting to say humanity. As I know. <laughs> uh, and I think it's been a fascinating podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Ma. <laughs> Welcome back to me and Jen. And there you go. Bye. 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 Bye.